It's January 30th. This is the One Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam, and we are going to be reading through the Old Testament, the New Testament, the book of Psalms, and the book of Proverbs. We are in the book of Exodus at the eighth plague in the events that lead up to the Passover. In today's Bible reading, Pharaoh, Egypt's supreme leader, is being begged by his cabinet officials to resume negotiations for Israel's exit from Egypt, their release from the hard bondage and slavery. Moses insists that Pharaoh let his people go and allow them the freedom to follow and worship their God on a three-day journey in the wilderness. The reference of three days in the Bible often refers to the death-to-life process. We saw that in Genesis chapter 22, verse 4, Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days, Nineveh needed three days to go from death to life, Jesus was three days in the tomb. In today's New Testament reading from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples that when he arrives in Jerusalem for the Passover, he will be betrayed and delivered to the religious authorities who will turn him over to the Gentiles to be crucified and then resurrected on the third day in Matthew chapter 20, verse 19. After Pharaoh's stubborn refusal, there's going to be a judgment of three days of darkness. These headlines might have appeared in Egypt. Eighth plague hits Egypt. When will it ever end? Locusts devastate crops, darken sky, and cause havoc. National agricultural crisis, only one neighborhood spared. Cabinet members put pressure on Pharaoh to continue negotiations with Moses. Moses insists on original terms for exit. Ninth plague of palpable darkness causes national shutdown for three days. Only the sons of Israel have light to carry on business. Pharaoh refuses Moses' plea to include livestock and children in exit. Egyptian citizens contribute to Israelis' exit fund, accepting extravagant donations of silver and gold. Moses warns that the firstborn of Pharaoh and all Egyptian households are in life-threatening danger. Property values threatened as Israelis put lamb's blood over front doors in Egypt's only flourishing neighborhood. Cries of mourning heard throughout neighborhoods as Egypt mourns their dead. Goshen property values rise as this suburb remains peaceful, quiet, and flourishing in times of national disaster. Jews plan a new holiday to celebrate deliverance from recent plagues. Now that we've read the headlines, let's read from Exodus chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts to your country, and they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians." as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. 
Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you, if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as never had been seen before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land, so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land, and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron, and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God, and against you. Now therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord, your little ones also may go with you, only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Chapter 11 The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people, that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. 
and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Chapter 12. The Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, each head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover." For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. We have just been introduced to the concept of the Passover lamb that will feature throughout the rest of the Bible and, of course, will be fulfilled in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who is known as our Passover in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When the Lord speaks to Moses in Exodus chapter 10, he adds another reason for the awesome display of his power in the plagues. 
it is that the Jews might be able to tell their future generations that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God, the Lord of all, who delivered them from their bondage to the Egyptians. The gods of the Egyptians were powerless to protect the people of Egypt from the plague sent by the God of the Hebrews because they were not gods at all. The God of the Nile River, Hapi, was unable to prevent the waters turning to blood. In Exodus 7, verse 20, the cow goddess, Hathor, could not prevent the livestock dying from the plague. In chapter 9, verse 6, Osiris, the Egyptian god of crop fertility, was unable to protect the Egyptians from the plague of locusts that destroyed their crops. In chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, the sun god, Amun-Ra, could not prevent darkness from covering the land for three full days where the Israelites were not dwelling. The gods of the Egyptians were created by man. The god of the Hebrews created man. The gods of the Egyptians were centered around non-personal objects or images. The god of the Hebrews was a living personal being. The gods of the Egyptians were many. The god of the Hebrews was the only one true god. There is no other and he is all-powerful. These truths are underscored by the fact that during the plagues, God makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. In Exodus chapter 11, verse 7, there have been those who have theorized natural explanations for the plagues of Egypt. However, they fail to explain the supernatural protection that kept the children of Israel immune from their harmful effects. Now let's read from the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, beginning with chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, to be mocked and flogged and crucified, 
and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It is important to understand that the parables are windows into Jesus' teaching. They are not to be received as the teaching itself, but as illustrations of the teaching. It is rightly said that no parable stands on all fours. Parables bring further light to underscore the particular point that Jesus is making. In the parable of the vineyard workers, Jesus illustrates the danger of having an attitude of superior worthiness because of our sincerity or long labors. The chapter divisions in the Bible often prevent us from understanding that this parable illustrates the teaching given in the previous chapter. Chapter 19 ends with Peter anxiously wrestling with Jesus' teaching that it is impossible for sinners to be saved through the lifelong conscientious attempts at keeping the law. The rich young leader saw himself as first in line, as a sincere candidate for inheriting the kingdom of God. He was an observant Jew. He claimed to have kept the law all his life, from his youth, in Luke 18, verse 21, in Matthew 19, verse 20, in Mark chapter 10, verse 20. In another example, Peter was thinking of himself and the disciples as being first in line, as candidates for inheriting eternal life, because of their having been with Jesus from the beginning and having made many sacrifices. Peter saw himself as an observant disciple. See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? In Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. Jesus assures Peter and the disciples that they will have their reward, but indicated that their reward would not be based upon their own estimation of their worthy performance. In other words, how many hours they clocked in. They thought that their being with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, through the heat of the day, put them a step ahead of all the others. Theirs was a first-rate discipleship, but their reward would be based upon Christ's performance on their behalf, the generosity of his grace. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the first last. Then Jesus gives the parable of the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20 as a continuation of his answer to Peter's question in Matthew chapter 19, 
what then will we have? Jesus provides an illustration that those who see themselves as first in line to inherit the kingdom will end up feeling last. That is, if they think that they have a contract with God to receive God's favor as a wage rather than as a gift. He concludes the parable by repeating the previous teaching. So the last will be first and the first last. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. Jesus will repeat this again later in this chapter. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. In Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 35, sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. All these workers were previously desperate and unemployed. They were feeling like they were last in the line of life. Those who were first hired were grateful. No one complained about the money that the landowner offered. It was a joy to know that they could be employed in good work and receive a reasonable wage. The landowner was fair. He gave his workers what they had negotiated for. However, those who were hired later in the day were given the same amount as those who worked all day. He wasn't giving it to them as an hourly wage, but a promised reward out of his kindness. It was not only a reward for their labor, but an expression of the landowner's generosity. Those who were hired first were resentful that those who were hired last and only worked for a short while were given the same amount as those who had worked all day. They were not dissatisfied with what they had received. They were dissatisfied that the landowner was being generous with others. This is a great picture of the grace of God. Do we understand it? Do we resent it when God shows kindness to others? The landowner represents the earth owner, our owner, our creator, our gracious loving God. The fact that he is a God of all grace can be bothersome to those who think they are entitled to come first. Some of us were privileged to receive the gift of salvation early in our lives and have had the pleasure of laboring in the landowner's fields of grace for most of our lives and with no regrets. Others receive the same offer as we were given, maybe later in their lives, or they do not appear to have labored as long or as hard as we have. Why would we be resentful if they receive God's boundless grace as well? Only because of a sinful attitude, we are predisposed to think more of our merit than God's grace. The first workers came to an agreement with the landowner for a denarius, a day's wages for a day's labor. It is interesting that the landowner hired workers later in the day. He did not negotiate a wage. Instead, he said, Whatever is right, I will give you. They trusted the landowner's character. It turned out that the landowner's character was more than fair. He was generous. Do you negotiate with God to get your fair share? Or do you trust his character, knowing that he is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Later on we read about Jesus predicting his death. Each time Jesus speaks to his disciples about what will happen when they go to Jerusalem, he adds more details. First, he refers to his upcoming death as the sign of Jonah in Matthew 12, verse 40, with three days and nights in the heart of the earth. 
Then in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, he adds the detail that he will be killed and raised up on the third day. Here, in Matthew 20, he predicts his death a third time and tells them that he will not only be betrayed and delivered to the chief priests and elders, but that he will be condemned to death and handed over to the Gentiles, adding prophetically the detail that he would be crucified in Matthew chapter 20, verse 19, and raised up on the third day. The reading concludes with a great lesson on humility. Don't seek to be number one. Give preference to others. Seek to be the servant of all. But Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Our reading from the Psalms, Psalm 25, verses 1 to 15. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness, for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. John Bunyan described the life of a believer as a journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. He titled his allegory, A Pilgrim's Progress. This psalm pictures such a journey. He uses the word ways four times and paths once. We make progress on our journey by learning his truth and applying what we learn. We also learn to trust and wait while being thankful for his mercies. He wants to develop our relationship with him. This comes out in the ESV translation, which I have just read, in verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. How is your journey going? Are you making progress? Is your friendship with God developing? It requires you recognizing that the world system is in opposition to God, and therefore your relationship with God requires that you turn your back on its ideologies. 
in James chapter 4, verse 4. To be a friend of God means that you will have enemies. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But be of good cheer. Call out to Him. Lift up your soul before Him. Make this prayer your own as you turn to Him for help. The book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. This proverb is such a demonstration of living life under the headship of Christ with a spirit of diligence. What a wonderful illustration of an industrious community for the glory of God. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Let's pray. Father, maker and owner of heaven and earth, your grace still amazes me. Thank you for calling me out of darkness into your marvelous light and giving me eternal life through your Son. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who mediates your presence to your people moment by moment. He is faithful to comfort and strengthen us as we labor in your harvest with our fellow workers in your vineyard. Keep us from sinful attitudes that prefer to make contracts with you based on what we consider fair rather than trusting your character of boundless love and goodness. If we earthly fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more you, our Father in heaven, know how to give above and beyond all we can ask or think according to your grace and by your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us on the One Year Bible Reading Tour. Our goal is to get you reading consistently, thoughtfully, prayerfully. Each year that I read through the Bible, I like to plow a little deeper, linger a little longer, and appreciate more fully the scope of God's wisdom and the history of redemption. We want you to feel welcome to contact us with your comments, questions, prayer requests, and you can do so by sending an email to podcast at newlife.org. That address is podcast at newlife.org. And we want to remind you that many benefit from getting a daily email with a written copy of the commentary of each day's Bible readings with illustrations, maps, and charts. You can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. Again, all our resources are offered freely without charge. I do hope that you can join us on tomorrow's excursion as we continue to read through the Bible. And until that time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Shalom. Peace be with you.